Hello and welcome to Challenge the Narrative. This is a podcast by myself, Ada, and I'm so grateful that you tuned in. Here in this podcast, we challenge woke narratives, we challenge deceitful narratives, misleading narratives, narratives that use information, use data, use research that isn't technically false, but such info is usually twisted to cause division and to demobilize certain groups. So I am here to challenge, I'm here to confront, to ask questions, to explore different views and different perspectives. So you can support this podcast, you can share it on your social media with friends, family, privately, publicly. You can send me any feedback about anything you agreed with or disagreed with, you found useful, you didn't find useful at all. You can share your feedback with me, positive or constructive, and you can support this podcast on Patreon. And that's patreon.com slash Ada So feel absolutely free and all kinds of support are equally appreciated by myself. Okay, so in this episode, I will explore some high profile examples of what it really can mean to go against the black community and the repercussions a person can face if they quote unquote step out of line. It's not a small matter indeed. If you misbehave, you can find yourself subject to a mob wave of anger, disgust and revolt against you. I've faced this myself, if you've listened to previous episodes, on numerous occasions. But today I want to explore some very well-known examples that greatly marked me. And these really stuck with me and got me thinking about the dangers of groupthink. So firstly, we have the famous comedic actor, Terry Crews. We all know him, right? Brooklyn Nine-Nine and all the other things that he's he's done over the years. White Chicks, if you remember that film. So he was criticized heavily because during the protests and the whole saga following the George Floyd incident, he simply called for unity and suggested that black people should not allow hate or outrage to turn them into black supremacists. He mentioned that they shouldn't allow this movement of Black Lives Matter to become Black Lives Better in relation to the fact that it wasn't war, you know, it wasn't war against white people. It wasn't an attempt to turn the tables on white people and enact some form of revenge on them. So these were his own thoughts, personal thoughts that he shared. But what happened? He received immediate and heavy backlash, cautioning him that if he wasn't careful, he would become an enemy of the people. Can you imagine an enemy because he wanted unity? So he was mocked, slandered, ridiculed, told he wasn't representing black people. That's the usual one. You don't represent black people. You don't speak for black people. For goodness sake, we are not speaking for anyone. We are just simply expressing our own views, thoughts and and opinions. It doesn't mean we're speaking for, you know, communities. We don't speak for anyone. We're speaking out. Whoever it's for, it's for. Whoever takes it, takes it, right? He responded to the backlash that he received and he explained that there seemed to be self-appointed gatekeepers in the black community, right? That seemed to regulate who was black and who wasn't. He himself advised that he'd been ridiculed, excluded from the conversations, especially on racial issues, numerous times due to the fact that he's married to a mixed race woman. So though he himself was black, he couldn't fully understand the black experience because his spouse wasn't fully black. You know, who makes up these rules? Right, second example relates to, everyone knows him, 50 Cent, famous hip-hop rapper, right? 
So he apparently had to be reminded by his ex-girlfriend, Chelsea Handler, that he was a black man simply because he stated that he could, he would potentially vote for Donald Trump, who's a Republican president, which of course is a big no-no in the black community, big red flag. But the thing is, the actual fact that she could utter those words so freely, so unreservedly, highlights how worrisome this is. I mean, what is the difference between this example and black people being told in the past what they could or could not do, who they could or could not vote for? you know, during times when racism was the norm and even legal. I personally see no difference at all. But did she receive backlash? Not much. In fact, she was invited on several shows where she was giving her opinions about white privilege and how she understands why black people are afraid of calling the police. All this was applauded, happily welcomed by black people. Instead of them rejecting this and seeing that 50 Cent is an individual before he's black, He can do whatever he likes, think however he likes and vote for whoever he freaking wants to vote for. For black people to believe otherwise on account of his skin color is literally the exact reason why many don't progress socioeconomically. You see, many black people still don't see that the reason many stay stagnant is because of this unwillingness to leave wrong thought processes behind. They don't allow each other the liberty to have a different stance or opinion. How can there be authentic and true growth when you stifle free thinking? Change comes from thought. Every great thing that has been done was first thought, was first an idea. The greatest innovations and solutions to problems came from thought, from reasoning, from debating, from questioning, from cross-examining. So how can black people advance as a whole when we constantly and militantly penalize and condemn one another for deviating from the accepted standards and thinking differently. I mean, even if an idea or the idea or thought is wrong, okay, but it's just impossible to move forward without allowing that freedom to branch out. The most amazing inventions came into existence because the inventor, he dared to think differently. They dared to think unlike no other had done previously. They dared to drift away, to stray away from the status quo. How do black people expect to expand when they refuse to let each other just be who they are? Just be who they are. Now we have Van Jones. His case was quite interesting to me. Now, if you don't know, I'm sure most of you do. Van Jones is a CNN contributor. He's generally a left-leaning democratic news commentator and critic. Yet all this did not shield him from the attacks and condemnation from the leftist woke mob. So what happened? Van Jones was a guest on a show called The View, another left-leaning talk show that has been openly, unashamedly and persistently critical of the Republican Party and of conservatives, right? So Jones was a guest on the show and he was promoting a new documentary of his called The Reunited States of America, which is a documentary aimed at addressing the clear and distinctive divide between red and blue America, so red and blue states, whilst he also attempted to bridge the gap and find some kind of a middle ground that would lead the unity, that would lead to unity in the nation, in America, right, over there in the US. So while he was talking about this, discussing it, promoting his book, he came under fire by the hosts and was told by them that the black community felt he couldn't be trusted anymore. 
So I'll come back to this point later. But first of all, let, let's just see in detail what was just so troublesome. So firstly, many apparently, they weren't happy that Van Jones offered praise and compliments to Donald Trump. So Van Jones, on previous occasions, he advised that he felt that Donald Trump didn't receive enough credit, nor was he recognized enough for some positive contributions that helped the black community. More specifically, in regards to some changes to the prison reform, there were some policies, there was some legislation. One was the First Step Act. So this was aimed to essentially reduce long prison sentences and improve conditions in the U.S. prisons, in the federal U.S. prisons. And this was signed into law by Donald Trump. So what Van Jones said was he always wanted to have a balanced outlook right? Give praise where praise was due and criticism where criticism was due, regardless of his own personal opinion and bias. That's what he said. But he was still slammed. He was dubbed as a political chameleon that couldn't pick a side. Why do we always need to pick a side? I I just don't understand this mentality. Why do people feel that they must pick a side? Sometimes life isn't as binary as many people think. I know it's easier for people to deal with life this way, right? It's more comfortable for them, but sometimes there are different avenues one can take to find a solution. And it might be ways you don't particularly like or with people you don't particularly agree with, but the end goal should be finding a solution, finding something that works for all. So Van Jones explained he would work with anyone, whoever he needed to work with to produce positive outcomes for the black community, for anyone really. So after analyzing this case, I always wondered to myself, you know, how is progress in the black community expected to be made? When it comes to reformational policies, you know, that drive changes in certain communities, it's not about who do I like or who is nice to me or who is for my people. It should be about who can get the work done, who can get the job done, who can bring this change that I am seeking. I mean, when you are in extreme pain and you go to the hospital, you don't care who the doctor is. You don't care if they are a sweet teddy bear or a big meanie. All you care about is if they can do the job, if they can make you better. If black people only liaised and worked with people who they thought were for their people, They're going to remain stuck and stagnant in the same cycle of problems that is plaguing their communities. And it reduces serious official proceedings to playground antics, school playground antics. Not only that, but it discourages other black people who may have great ideas to come forward. If those ideas are suspected to be outside the box in some way, you know, they see extra layers of barriers to cross in order to act out on their ideas. And that extra layer is called approval from the black community. Such a regressive attitude and it stifles growth and new thought, like I said before. So going back to this statement that the black community no longer trusts you. The issue I have with this statement and the issue that many other black individuals should have with this statement is this bold presumption. And it happens all the time. This bold presumption that they can comment on how a whole entire group feels. I mean, who did they ask in this community to reach such a confident and definite conclusion? Because even if they asked a small percentage, that small percentage doesn't speak or represent the whole entire group. And it happens far too often, this overgeneralization. So now there's Ice Cube. Similar case to Van Jones. 
So he apparently had a plan that detailed ways to help the black community economically. He alleged that he took the plan to the two political parties in America. The Democratic Party, apparently more favoured by black community as a whole, and the Republican Party, which is less favoured by the black community in general, and a party that's also seen as racist and white supremacist. Even though there are many and numerous black people that support this party, and in fact work within it, but again, they are seen to be the black faces of white supremacy. Another conversation. So with this platinum plan, which is something devised by Ice Cube, what it was in essence was to put literally over half a billion or trillion, I can't fully remember, dollars of capital in the black community. So this is usually the main talking point when we deal with racial inequalities and gaps in society. It's usually, well, there needs to be capital pumped into our communities. However, just for discussing this plan and proposal with the Trump administration, many news outlets deemed him just to be a pawn and that he was being used by the administration who didn't genuinely care about black people. Besides this, now is a good time to highlight an important point. The black community as a whole need to start waiting for some political saviour to get them out of their economic and societal troubles. No one should be waiting for a political saviour. As the great late Walter Williams advised, political power does not automatically or necessarily determine economic power. So in the sense of waiting for black politicians or officials who are for black people to come out and rescue them from all their woes. This isn't what solves problems. However, the greater point to make is that less reliance on the government and more reliance on self-ownership is what opens more doors, more permanent doors. When you place your full trust, your full confidence, your full faith, reliance on the government, then they will continue to create policies to keep you trusting and relying on them. Then we have Daniel Cameron, Attorney General Daniel Cameron. All the prior examples that I gave are upsetting to me, but by far this case was the most upsetting when I came across it and it was very unsettling. Daniel Cameron is an attorney general in Kentucky. He is a black attorney general, the first one appointed in Kentucky. You would think that he would be a beacon of success, a prime example of how success can find a black man that is willing to study, work hard and not give up on his goal on entering spaces that have never been entered before by anyone from their race. However, this was far from the case. A.G. Cameron was assigned to the Breonna Taylor case, a case involving a young black lady we all know about. She was fatally shot by police during a no-knock warrant. Okay, so initially it was said, you know, it all went around. She was shot in her sleep. So this only served to cause more counterproductive outrage amongst black people. Nevertheless, the facts of the case were that Breonna Taylor was not in fact asleep when she was fatally shot, but both herself and her partner were at the other end of the hallway when police breached their residence, when Kenneth Walker shot the police first, causing him harm, and then the police shot back. Again, we all know this. So A.G. Cameron, he explained that the police officers were justified in their use of force based on the fact that Kenneth Walker shot first and the charge for murder in order to convict the police officers, it wasn't brought before the grand jury. This was after the analysis of A.G. Cameron. So it sparked severe outrage, berating of him. 
Let me just read a few of the comments that was directed to him on his social media account. I saw them. So one said, you are a coward. You are a sellout. You do not belong to us. So another one said, arrest the killer or you hate black America. One said, house Negro. One said, you love black people so much. You married a white woman. You gave up on us. It's crazy. Another one, which has been said to me a few times, white man's lapdog and so on and so on. So I have many issues with this, obviously, but I'm just going to elaborate on two. Firstly, we shouldn't put our emotions before and over the law and legal proceedings and processes. There are specific routes to determine justice, and it's not simply a question of how we feel or how emotionally charged we are. Secondly, and this is the one that's more important for me, This is one of the reasons that many black people don't seek to enter these spaces and be in these positions. For example, attorney general, lawyer, so on and so forth. They observe the treatment that a black man can receive simply for not doing what the black community feels he should do. However, what many fail to understand is that in these high and official positions, the person in question is not simply there to represent your group or your personal or collective views. They are elected to represent the whole nation and all groups. I'm not here to state whether A.G. Cameron's decision was right or wrong. I'm simply here to state that asserting that he's a self-hating sellout for the white masters, simply because his decision went against the narrative purported to and by the black community is completely wrong and literally just needs to end. Okay, now one from the UK. Tony Sewell. Now his bio shows that he's a British consultant, educational consultant, and he also heads up a charity called Generating Geniuses that pretty much focuses on especially young people um, getting into the STEM careers. So science, technology, engineering, math, um, those kind of fields, but not just getting into these um, spaces, but especially excelling in them. So he does all that. And he was also the appointed chair of the Race and Ethnic um, Disparities Commission. So they were given the responsibility to look into and report on um, the race disparities in the UK and how these came about, why these came about and so on and things like that. So that that's basically him in a very quick nutshell. So this report concluded um, that the UK wasn't institutionally rigged, institutionally set up to make minorities fail or lead minorities to failure a second rate life. Again, called a pawn for white supremacy to keep black people in their place. Don't get this. How can preaching about personal power and agency be a tool to keep someone down? How can telling someone they have the power to change things, they have personal agency, personal choice, how can this be used to keep them down? Does that make sense? You would think that telling them the opposite, they don't have power, they don't have agency, actually there's nothing they can do, they just have to be born, wallow in it and die, you know, isn't that more a tool to keep someone down? Which makes me wonder who is actually a bigger tool for white supremacy in this whole race debate. Is it those saying that actually you can do it, I've done it, many other people in our so-called collective group have done it, so you can do it. Is it these people or is it those saying actually you can't do it? Even if I've done it, don't worry about that. You still can't do it. And if you do somehow manage to do it, you're still going to live a life of hell and oppression. The greatest strength comes from within a person. 
And once this is unlocked, truly unlocked, there is little that can stop a person. True white supremacists know this. The ones that really want to see black people down and held back, they know this power that lies in individual force and agency. They know this very well. And that's what many don't get. You know, in fact, a true white supremacist wants the blame. They want to be the reason you think you can't make it and move forward. It boosts their ego. They have power over you. Anything you blame for your misfortune has power over you. If I blame my past for my failures, then it's because my past still has a hold on me, still has power over me. And until I break this link, until I destroy this link, I will forever go around in circles, blaming the past when it's actually my present choices that have a greater bearing as to why my life is the way it is today. There's so many more examples, guys. So many more examples similar to these. You know, if you've known me for a while now, I've given my examples. If you've been following some of my friends, you've heard some of their examples. You know, you know how restrictive it can be to be part of a collective. And that's why many of us don't want to be part of a collective. Doesn't mean we don't think that there are still injustices, gaps, disparities. We think there are all these things. But we don't believe that there is a black and white root cause to such issues, nor is there a black and white solution to such issues. And if black people truly want to move forward in many areas, enter many spaces, then they cannot demonize someone already in that space. If this person acts or speaks in a way that is, quote unquote, not approved by the black community. You know, I'll end with this. From my observation, just personal experiences and you know just seeing everything that happens and I just I came to the realization that many black people are more concerned about the black thing to do rather than the right thing to do you know they're more concerned about the black way to think and not necessarily the right way to think this is something that we need to change we hope you enjoyed this episode you can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash Ada Akpala, or you can visit the website differentvoice.uk for more support options. Stay safe, everyone, and above all, stay sane.